Hello, hello, everyone, and welcome to Past Deadline, the Ithacans podcast where we discuss the story behind the story of the Ithacans reporting methods of the week. I'm your host, Sierra Guardiola, and this week we'll be talking about the paper's front page story titled Non-Binary Students Missing from Data. This story investigates how the annual facts and brief report does not include a non-binary option when breaking down the student population. This means any student who does not identify as male or female in their common application are still grouped within these gender binaries when data is reported to the Integrated Post-Secondary Education Data System. IPEDS is run by the National Center for Education Statistics by the United States government, and reporting data to them ensures government funding for the school. Ithaca College does provide a non-binary option for students when they are filling out the common application, but since IPEDS only uses male and female gender binary markers, this information is not reported to them, essentially erasing any record of students who identify outside of these markers. The college has provided a note on top of the report for both the 2017-18 and 2018-19 academic years, stating that students who do not identify as male or female have been grouped into these categories based on the gender breakdown of their major. Gerard Turbide, Vice President of Enrollment Management, said the Data Governance Committee is meeting soon to discuss how to take a more inclusive approach to reporting this data. Today I am joined by staff writer Mary Rand to discuss the tools they used while reporting. Thanks for coming on today. Thank you for having me. No problem. So first, can you just describe to me and our listeners, what is the Facts and Brief Report and what does it, what kind of information does it collect? It is a, basically a quick statistical collection of all the, it's mostly demographic information of students, meaning things like their race and their gender and uh, where they come from, but it also includes the amount of faculty at the at the college, uh, the amount of degrees that they award at the end of the year prior to the amount of seniors, the amount of students that uh, like stay stay enrolled from year to year, and the amount that are that drop out or leave for whatever reason. And they're common across all colleges, and they're just a way to like get a sense through numbers of what the what a college is like and what the you know yeah what it, what they're like. So the purpose would be to break down the college statistically? Mm -hmm. How did you notice that the college wasn't using information that it collected about non-binary students um, when it reported it to the, I to the iPads? Well, it wasn't me who picked up the story. I This was my first story that I got at the uh, Ithacan boot camp on September 2nd, I want to say, and they... The editors, Fallon, uh, Maggie, and Laura, introduced the issue. I had never heard about the facts of brief because I didn't really look at that sort of thing when I was applying. But that's not important. Uh, so I was mostly just interested in what they had already explained about how it doesn't include the non-binary students. Why did you decide to pick it up? Well, I figured I have an interest in reporting as a transgender person, I have an interest in reporting in LGBTQ issues, and then I'm sitting there on my first day, pretty much, and there's this big issue that I could report on. So I thought it was something I, I had an advantage from my own personal perspective in uh, investigating. Nice. Did anyone that you interviewed know about this issue before you brought it up to their attention? Uh, the All the people in the faculty knew what I was talking about and had some kind of idea of how they were addressing it and what they thought about it. But I found that the students I did get to talk to didn't really 
didn't really know about it or knew about the facts in brief, but didn't really pay attention to the omission of non-binary student data. How did you approach bringing this topic up to them? Well, I just, I'm a member of um, uh, Spectrum, which is one of the LGBT groups on campus. And through that, I was able to learn of people who identified as non-binary. And I approached them and said, hey, I'm talking about, I'm writing about this larger issue with representation. And I want to hear your story about how you feel about being represented, you know, in your day-to-day life. And most people responded to that. Did a lot of people respond to it? How many people were you able to talk to? I only talked to about four or five. And then I approached some other people, but they were not as interested. Was it challenging to try to uh, talk to people about this representation? Yeah, mostly because it's non-binary and the other kind of non-binary gender identities are, you know, it's not a big group of people and it was difficult for me to be able to find these people out because you can't really identify it from looking at a person so it has and it's hard to just go around asking people hey what's your gender because that's not really something you do so it had to be it had to be through like indirect contact or through these groups or through being referred to other people were there any general reactions when you brought up this lack of representation in the data or did everyone's reaction kind of differ no it was generally muted. I think, again, speaking from my own perspective, this kind of thing isn't necessarily like a big shock. Like it's, it's kind of expected that, or just generally like, oh, that's interesting. I got from one person. It's just kind of expected that this wouldn't be something that they would do. One of your sources, Joel Baum, who's the senior director of Spectrum, talked about how it was concerning that colleges aren't reporting this data. And he mentioned how disregarding this kind of data adds to the cycle of student accommodations failing to be met. When you were reporting, did you see any student accommodations that weren't met because of this lack of representation statistics? Nothing overtly like institutional, at least here. It was mostly just the idea that that I had expressed to me from a bunch of people that people weren't able to sort of grasp what a non-binary identity was and what it meant to use they, them pronouns for a person. And a lot of people struggled with that, whether they, you know, intended to or not. And so I think the largest issue was just being able to accept and have that identity be reflexive instead of actively thinking, oh, I have to use these pronouns for this person. Mm-hmm. Um, you had a lot of outside research in your article also, um, just from different sources. Can you describe how you went about getting this outside resource it, resources and incorporating it into your reporting? Uh <clears throat> I was already sort of familiar with some of the studies that I uh, quoted about the um, the groups of youth in California and Minnesota identifying more and more uh, away from the binary. So I was able to just sort of go back and trace my way through there, through like the keywords, you know, just Googling it and then reading those abstracts and all that sort of thing to provide that information. So it was, it was kind of something I already knew about. And then I kept track of the transgender advocacy groups and general LGBT groups, the gender spectrum and campus pride that I quoted in the article. And so I was able to just go straight to them, didn't really have to feel around. For maybe uh, articles that you don't have that much, those those resources available that you're familiar with, how do journalists go about getting outside resources? Just in general? Yeah, and incorporating them into their reporting. 
I mean, sometimes you start at like the at the biggest areas and then sort of split off into um, like finding the smaller groups. Like I did look at um, GLAD, which is Gay and Lesbian Alliance Against Defamation, I believe, or something to that end, and they collect those same sort of groups. So in my limited experience, you, you start big and then you ask, hey, who else can I talk to? And then go from there. Did you find your on-campus and local resources to be more helpful than national resources for this story? I found them both equally helpful for what I needed them for. I think the I did have a little bit of trouble getting because the issue became so complex that I kept having to go back and like re-ask questions that I didn't even know I had before. But people, everyone I talked to were was helpful and I got what I needed from who I needed it from. You bring up a good point about follow-up questions. So often in reporting, more questions do come up the more that you find out. How did you go back and kind of retrace your steps and find where there was holes in your reporting that you needed to do those follow-up interviews? Well, there's a lot of help from the editors, uh, Laura and Fallon and uh, Grace, the editor-in-chief. And they were able to sort of look through and find like, oh, this isn't explained here. So I had to go and tap different resources. Like I had to go contact the Office of the Registrar for a question about something that was brought up by um, Gerard Turbide, Vice President of Enrollment Management, who's quoted pretty heavily in the article. And so it was like... It was like one person brings up one thing vaguely, and then I have to go to the expert on that source to sort of get a more clear indication of it. Was it challenging to break down? There was a lot of big vocabulary just because it's a data-heavy article. Was it challenging to break down that vocabulary for your readers? Oh, yeah. It was It was a lot of having to go over things, just sound them out again and again, and have, again, the editors tell me that doesn't sound that good. And that's, it's confused. This is confusing. It was a lot of that, that this is complex and confusing. And I was like, oh yeah, it is. Was there any strategies you used to make it less confusing? We just, I broke it. I tried to break it down into many small steps from like going from here to here and then defining what we mean here and then going from the next place and defining what we mean there and how, and then going back and saying that, how that all ties together. Is there any specific example you could give us about that? Well, there was a lot of confusion about how we started, where the data came from, and then how it ended up at iPads and what it meant to go to iPads. And so I started, I believe I started by saying that pretty much just they get this data and it, they have to report it to iPads. But then I had to break it down to where it came from, which was a follow-up question to confirm that it came from the common application. And then... There's a lot of questions about the banner system, which is the very overarching uh, like student data system that the college uses. And then, and then from banner to iPads, all had to become very separate, longer paragraphs than they originally ended up being. You mentioned the Data Governance Committee uh, towards the end of your article and how they're meeting soon to discuss how they can be more inclusive when they're reporting with the data that they collect. Can you describe what this committee is for people that maybe have never heard of it? As far as I could gather, it, the college has a lot of committees like this that are diverse groups that are meant to address a singular problem. And this one is, again, as far as I can gather, about issues of like responsible use of the data. And I'd never got an example of anything other than the 
non-binary representation, but it, it seemed to me like a like a group where they would come and discuss, hey, where is some problems that we can address and how can we best address them? Okay. Um, and do you know what they were doing to maybe have more inclusive data collection? Did anyone mention that to you? No. I, I did ask, and they were like, we're going to figure it out at some point. Luca Maurer is quoted heavily in the article as well, and he mentioned how Ithaca College is ahead of most other institutions when representing the non-binary population on campus. In your research and your reporting, did you find any information about how other schools used the data that they collected from their student body if they had represented as non-binary? No. There, it's part of the whole gist of the article is that this is very uncharted territory for a lot of schools, and a lot, and based on what um, I believe it was Joel Baum was telling me, a lot of schools still struggle with even representing binary, like what to do with binary transgender people and how to place them into the right categories, let alone address non-binary students. So I looked at a few colleges that, of similar size and similar um, uh, tuition and sort of the same sort of kind of college, and none of them really had any indication that they were even looking at the issue, as far as I could tell from the outside. Maurer also mentioned that this needs to be an effort not just at the institutional level, but also at the state and federal law levels. Um, and did he mention any specific action that needs to be hap- that needs to take place for this change to occur? He just talked about raising awareness, which I think is a very valid thing, because like I said, this, from what I gather, this is very uncharted territory, and it's not a problem that's being thought widely about. It's being thought... Uh, it is being thought about, like in California, I think they very recently just allowed people to apply to have a non-binary indication on their driver's licenses, and then New York City either is or will or did also allow a similar thing. So I think what he wanted was people to go to the legislators and say, this is something we want done, and make them believe that through the usual protesting and campaigning and that sort of thing that this is something that should be done and then from there you know the usual legislative bill introducing and supporting and all that have you received any feedback about this article since it's been released (sighs) no my mom said it was good (laughs) nice Um, i didn't know if anyone had reached out on campus because since you said that some people especially students hadn't known that this lack of representation was occurring i didn't know if anyone had reached out yeah, not, anything. not yet, as far as I can, as far as I know. When you were looking at the breakdown of data, did you see any other groups that were being left out of that representation? No, at least not any I thought about. I mean, I didn't really examine the racial ethnic classification, and I'm not really qualified to say anything about that. But there was nothing. There were no gaps that I saw. I'm sure someone else might have something to say about that. Is there anything else that you've explored in your reporting that you feel you wanted to share? I mean, I did read a lot. I did read a little bit about um, the whole thing with having to report. Like, the federal government holds this money kind of hostage. Like, the idea is that you report to iPads to receive the money that you need for student financial aid that the federal government gives. And so there's this interesting, like, hostage situation here where, like, you can't really protest against the system because if you do then 
the federal government, if you don't, if you do and don't report to IPEDS, then the federal government withholds this financial aid money and students are hurt. But then the other way, students are also hurt. So it's, it ended up being more of a catch-22 kind of situation than, than I realized going in. My first impression was that this was some, just the usual sort of unaddressed problem that could be addressed through, you know, time and effort, but it really goes larger than that. It goes larger how? It's, it's more than just something that the college can do on its own. It could start, maybe, but it, it ends up being something that is a national problem, which is not something I realized going in. Yeah. Did the college say anything about steps that they're taking towards uh, releasing the data that they have collected that maybe doesn't show up on the iPads report? No. No, I think, like it also says in the article... There's this other concern about the low counts of uh, non-binary students and how that might create a safety problem. So I think that's part of their justification for not releasing them on their own. But I don't really know. Did any students that you talked to express that concern about that data being released? No, not. It wasn't something I really brought up with them. All right. I think that's all my questions I have. Thanks so much for coming on today. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Past Deadline. I'm your host, Sierra Guardiola. If you would like to hear more, check us out on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Podcasts, and Spotify.